the Macedonians learned the equation. Attack, tribulation, trial, affliction, plus me, staying in faith, right attitude, greatly rejoicing, equals more grace. I guess we could say it like this. Attack, temptation, tribulation, test, trial, plus us getting all sour, telling everybody all our problems, equals no more grace being added to you to get out of that problem. And a lot of these things don't happen immediately. That's why a lot of people never discern the the correct problem because a lot of these things are subtle. They happen over a few days or weeks or months. It's like, it's kind of like success is subtle and poverty is subtle. Right? A little folding of the hands. A little sleep. A little slumber. And after a while, your poverty overtakes you like a vagabond. Right? It's a little, 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 little equals look out. Right. Got to watch out. The Bible says in the Song of Solomon that it's the little foxes that spoiled the vine. Everybody's got their radar on the big giants, but they're letting little foxes under the vine. And after time, it destroys things in their life. Well, Paul learned this lesson. He said in the midst of a plane going down, in his day it was a ship going down, but just picture you on a plane. He gets up and says to everybody on the, on the ship, you know, everybody thinks they're going to die because they haven't seen the sun, stars, or moon in many days. All hope that they should be saved was lost. And Paul comes up after a time of prayer and says, Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer. A wave might have hit him in the face right after he said that because they were going down. What, what's he, he realized big storm plus me staying in faith is going to equal a miracle. Right? You hear what I'm saying? It was a miracle they got saved that day. That was a miraculous deliverance of God. They lost the ship, but everybody got to land safely. It was a miracle. They all should have died in the ocean. Now, they shouldn't have set sail in the first place and listened to Paul because Paul perceived in the spirit the voyage was going to be with hurt and much damage. Not only the lading of the ship, but of their lives. But the Lord spared them all because there was a believer on board who was in faith. Right? And he, he comes out and says, in the midst of a deadly storm, be of good cheer. Paul knew what that equaled. He knew what deadly storm plus him staying in faith equaled. He knew. He'd seen it in the Macedonians. He'd seen it in his own life. Well, then Paul says later on in his life, he says, I glory in tribulation because he learned the equation. You follow me? you got to learn to turn a trial into a smile. Right? Amen. Trial of great affliction and their abundance of joy abounded to the riches of their liberality. And they are able to do things beyond their own natural ability. Think about that. You see, many people are passing by a miracle because they're not responding to adversity properly. Many, many people are passing by a miracle because they're not responding to adversity properly. So somebody, I want to see a miracle. I want to see a miracle. Well, do you really, really need one? <laughs> well, I don't know if I want to really, really need one. Yeah. Sometimes that's the only way you're going to see one unless you see it in somebody else's life. 
Like, like the, the, the guy that says, I want, I want some great victories, and you better pray, but believe God for some great battles to come your way. <laughs> and the Lord won't send them, but sometimes they're allowed because we allow them. And if you look at it, we've got to get our attitude adjusted if we want to see miracles and if we want to see healings. All that an attack is, is another opportunity to get the victory. That should be our attitude. Because now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph. But it's easy to go, yeah, in church. But next time the attack comes, and you feel like you're not righteous enough to get the victory, or you feel like you can't make it through, or all these other things are convincing you and that it's just not going to happen, you need to put a smile on your face by choice if you want to see a miracle. You're going to really like some of the things that the Lord's going to share in just a few minutes. The Lord talked to me today about some of these things, and I'm really stirred up about it. So Paul said, I, I glory in tribulation. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer. He said, I'm exceedingly joyful in all my tribulations. Another place. I'm exceedingly joyful in all my tribulations. This guy's crazy. On the contrary, people who don't respond like this in faith are crazy. In heaven's point of view. And you know, at midnight, right, they're in jail for preaching the gospel, feet fast in stocks, backs bleeding. Midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and started singing praises. And the praises in that verse in the Greek is celebration. They started celebrating the victory while they were in jail. Two verses later, they ain't in jail no more. Grace was able to come upon them. God shook the place. Everybody's bands were loose, and they were set free. They didn't celebrate after they got set free. They celebrate, and they got free. It's called celebration that leads to victory. You're celebrating what Christ has done for you. You're celebrating that He's a good God. You're celebrating that you got the victory. And then victory happens. It's not chains break and you get happy. It's you get happy and chains break. Don't look around you to see if what I'm preaching is, is what... Most people in this world do not believe the things we're preaching right now. Very small percent of the people on this planet believe in this gospel message that you're hearing right now. So don't look around you to see how it's done. <laughs> you won't see this. Even in well and well-intentioned people who are good. But if you don't know, you don't know. All right, so do this with me. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And as you're turning there, I want to read you something. Um, concerning some reports in some uh, medical journals concerning cancer and something that they say people can do to see more healing in this cancer. This is not, I'm reading you now a uh, secular article here. It's real short, but Ernest H. Rosenbaum, M.D., Anasadora R. Rosenbaum, M.A., National and International Cancer Supportive Care Programs. Here's what they say. Some doctors and psychologists now believe that the proper attitude may even have a direct effect on cell function and consequently may be used to arrest, if not cure, cancer. Let me say that again. Some doctors and psychologists now believe that the proper attitude may even have a direct effect on cell function and consequently may be used to arrest, if not cure, cancer. 
this new field of scientific study called psychoneuroimmunology focuses on the effect that mental and emotional activity has on physical well-being, indicating that patients can play a much larger role in their own recovery. Attitude. Everybody say attitude. attitude. Attitude, I believe, comes from the Spirit. It comes through your emotions. It comes through your soul. But I believe it, 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 it originates. The attitude you need to overcome originates from your spirit. So 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Let's talk about that for a minute. 2 Corinthians 4.13. If you've got your Bible, check it out. They'll put it up on the screen. 2 Corinthians 4.13. Paul said, We believers having the same spirit of faith. That's talking about your attitude. Okay, church, listen. This is not just talking about knowledge of faith. This is not just talking about principles of faith. This is talking about something that got in your blood. It got in your system. Faith is not just something you know. Faith is not just something you studied. Faith is not just something you got out of a book. It got in you. Oh, church, do you see this? We having... Now, he's quoting King David. Paul, many, many, many years later, is quoting King David. Because King David said this. When he, you, know what, you know what killed Goliath? David had the spirit of faith. David didn't run at Goliath with a book saying, Okay, now, Brother Hagen said this, so, okay, I swing the swing like this, and, and I... This was in him. I said, this was in him. I preached one time, I actually had a dream a while back, of me preaching a sermon on having the attitude of David. And I remember preaching it to the youth, and I think I might have released some of it to the church. This was many years ago. And I believe the Lord quickened me and said, this is what David had. Because Paul said, this is what David had. And Paul said, we have, church, listen, the same We, we have the same spirit of faith as Joshua, all those in the Old Testament, David, right? Moses, Abraham. We have, we're not going to have, if you're a believer, you have this faith in you. The same spirit of faith, according as it is written. Now he quotes David. I believed. And therefore I just kick back and say, I'm a believer, you know, and just... Have this inward belief. No, if you believe, you're going to say something. If you're not going to say something, you really don't believe. You're not releasing your faith properly. He said, according as it is written, David, Paul said, we say, I believe, therefore have I spoken. We also believe, and therefore we speak. Got to release your faith. Speaking releases your faith. And so he said, we have the same spirit of faith. I think we need to just focus on this for a moment. Having the spirit of faith. Not just when a problem arises, all the time. Many years ago, this is right after I got saved, around 1983 or somewhere like that, 82. I was listening to Norval Hayes, a great Bible teacher, actually a very wealthy businessman, and he got called to the ministry. And, and I, was actually, I was actually, I think, taking a bath one day, and I was listening to Brother Norval Hayes, and I'm sitting there just, you know, relaxing, hearing the Word of God. And, 
And I hear him say, I don't have any more sad days. I never heard anything like that in my life. Somebody bold enough to say, I don't have any more sad days. My brain's going, what? I kind of sit up and, and, I heard, and I sensed in my spirit, what you just heard came from heaven. The spirit witnessed with me. And then, of course, I got to read in scriptures. The Bible said, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Nehemiah, Nehemiah 3.10. Is it Nehemiah 8.10? Nehemiah 8.10 says, don't be depressed. The joy of the Lord is your strength. What? Don't be depressed. I can't help it. Repent for saying that. Because the Lord's not dumb. He wouldn't say don't be depressed if you couldn't not be depressed. Too many people are arguing with the Lord. Too many people are going by what they feel more than what what God said. Yeah, but you don't know what's wrong in my family. But you don't know who told you not to be depressed. This is the Creator who knows every hair on your head and every motive and every thought of everybody's heart whoever lived and ever will live. If He said don't be depressed, you should go, I must be able to not be depressed. That's right. <laughs> like the guy he said to the, who had no hand, you know, he said, stretch out your hand. He could have went, like a lot of people do today, Lord, I can't stretch out my hand. I ain't got a hand. It withered away. Lord, I tried a thousand times. I and he would have got zero. That's right. Lord says, stretch forth your hand. He did it. And his hand was restored whole as the other. Because he did what looked stupid to men. <laughs> if the Lord says, don't be depressed, just say, okay, <laughs> here I go. I'm going to do my best to not be depressed. You might have to go, ha, 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 ha. I'm not depressed. You might feel more depressed than you've ever felt. What are you doing? You're coming out of something that the devil is trying to keep you in. Sometimes it may get a little more intense when you hear these truths. That doesn't mean you got the wrong truth. That just means you're being tested because you heard something powerful and the devil wants you to think it's not for you. I've had that happen to people. People say, well, after I heard that word, you know, I just had these things, problems. Well, probably because you just heard the word you needed to hear and the devil knows what that's going to do to your future and he's trying to take it away from you. Man, that's a sign you probably heard a great word. If the devil never trying to get you away from what's life-saving, then I would ask yourself, are you in the right place? (laughs) Moving right along. So, he's talking about more than the knowledge of faith, he's talking about an attitude of faith. All right, let's dig into this now. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, look at this. 1 Corinthians 10. And I want you to notice verse 10 and verse 11. Actually, for time's sake, let's just go right to verse 10. Now, if you read... Actually, we need to read the previous verses. Can you go back about three verses? Go back one more. Okay, now these things, Paul's talking about the children of Israel coming out of Egypt in the Old Testament going through the wilderness, 40 years, finally entering into the promised land after a bunch of people died off. He said, now these things are our examples. So he's talking about Israel coming out of Egypt, going through the desert, entering into the promised land. 
are examples for us today. Can we learn anything from the Old Testament? Yeah, tons. Now these things were done as our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Now we get specific. Neither be you idolaters as were some of them, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and to drink. Now think about this. And they rose up to play. He's saying that eating and drinking can be idolatry if you're lusting after it. He's saying pleasure can be idolatry. What should you do with idols? Just kind of push them back, you know, and put a little blanket over them. <laughs> what, what should we do with idols? Break them. Break them. Fasting sometimes has to come in in this area till you get control of a certain area of your life that has come up too high. Means too much to you. Even if it's a good thing, even if it's something the Lord wants us to enjoy, do you realize even things He wants us to enjoy can become too important to us? Things should never become too important to us. This is one of the reasons the Lord has a hard time turning up the prosperity knob in some people's lives. Because things mean too much to them. And it would take them off course. He'd love to bless them with it, but they're not ready for it. Hmm? Got to learn to hang on to these earthly things loosely. So don't be an idolater, right? Which is simply, don't let any of this other stuff in the world become too important. Next verse. Neither let us commit fornication, which is sex outside of marriage. And I Carla put a really powerful post on Facebook a couple days ago about this. Sometimes you just got to put these things out there because people are drifting. There's too much being accepted in some circles. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed. Now he's saying these are examples for us. Right? So, so he's writing this to show us, hey, you really don't want to do this because this happened to them. And Isn't it interesting he's saying that this is, he's writing this to people saved by grace. This is the same guy that preached grace. is saying these were examples for us. There are consequences still if people don't shape up. Some of them committed and fell in one day 23,000. <laughs> Next verse, please. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. All right, here we go. You ready? Neither murmur ye. Now people say, oh, I can't believe those people committing fornication and idolatry. Well, how are you doing in the murmuring area? Because these people got destroyed too. It wasn't just the fornicators that got destroyed. It was the complainers. The Lord didn't destroy them. Listen to what happened. Their complaining got them out of the protection of God. And their complaining shut the door on God being able to deliver them. Guys, you see this? It's not about God saying, you ticked me off today. Boom. It's not God. That is not the Lord. Neither murmur you as some of them also murmured or complained and they were destroyed. 
Now notice, it's interesting, he said, it didn't just say they were destroyed, it said they were destroyed of the destroyer. Complaining gives access to the devil. You see that? I mean, this, this is a truth that needs to be brought forth because a lot of people need to identify this problem called complaining when bad stuff tries to happen, when an attack comes, when a temptation comes, when a trial comes. They have some tests and trials come to them. Did you know that? And they were supposed to learn what we're talking about tonight. And I know we go, oh, Ezra, oh my gosh, 40 years, those buzzards walking around in the wilderness. And here we're doing some of the same things today and seeing some of the similar destruction, just not so graphic. Marriage is falling apart. Finance is not where they could and should be. Ministry hindered. Destruction in a different way, but at the same time, it's a destruction. So neither murmur you as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now let me just take in your mind, don't go to this scripture, but just listen. First Peter says, you have an adversary, the devil, who walks about as a roaring lion. Seeking whom he may devour. In other words, he can't devour everybody. He has to look for certain openings. And one of them is, they're complaining. I can start bringing destruction their way. We just read in 1 Corinthians, right? This gave access to the destroyer to bring destruction. What's one of the things the devil's looking for? Because see, he can't devour everybody, or it wouldn't say seeking whom he may devour. We need to find out what the devil's looking for and make sure none of that junk is in our life. Right? Complaining is not just a bad idea. What is it, church? Complaining is not just a bad idea, it's... Huh? Say it. Destructive. How many think if people commit fornication, they should repent? Yeah. Anybody think if somebody's living a life of fornication? Two people believe that. Oh man, we need to go back a step here then. Can I ask it one more time, church? Because I really want to see a response to that. How many people do you th- how many think if people are living a lifestyle of fornication, they need to stop it, turn around, and not do it anymore? How many, how many people believe that? That's more of you. Okay, that's others will pray for you. Don't worry about it. You're, you'll come along. You'll come along. How many think if people are worshiping idols? You know, let's say you walk by somebody's house and you look through the window and you saw all these idols up there and candles and smoke and they're going like this and chanting some weird stuff. How many think those people who call themselves believers should repent? Break the idols and not do it ever again. Say, God, forgive me. Have mercy on me. How many think that would be a good idea? How many people, how many think if people are tempting Christ, they need to stop it? Or do you think we should just say, you know what, you know, you tell whoever, you know, 
hey, you know, just, just try and stop committing fornication, okay? Just, just try not to do it anymore. How many know that won't cut, especially if it's your spouse? <laughs> stop it or else! Right? I mean, this has got to stop. Hmm? I mean, I'm, hoping, I'm hoping we're seeing this here. I mean, the world hasn't crept in so much where you're going, hey, it's okay if my kids sleep around. No, it's not! <laughs> it's still not a good thing. It's still hurtful. They're sinning against their own body. All right, we all say amen to that. How many think we should repent for murmuring? And treat it like, I just had sex outside of marriage. See, there's a spiritual force and law going on here. The devil wants us to think complaining is not that big a deal. Everybody does it. Yeah, and about everybody on this planet gets hit with sickness and they don't get healed. They get hit with financial problems, they never recover. They get hit with a divorce dart and they go down. Did you know we live in a world where defeat is normal and very accepted? And it's off. One of the main things that's going to help these people in our valley want to come to this church and pack it out three times every week is the victory in our lives. But we're not going to see a whole lot of it unless we line up with what God says is right and get out of what He says is wrong. Very important. So let me show you a couple things about murmuring now before we close. Peter said the, the, the adversary is seeking whom he may devour. So he's looking for weaknesses. He's looking for openings that he has a right to, to come in through. Right? Job said, when the hedge is broken, the serpent will bite. We've got to understand what it means to have an unbroken hedge. It's important stuff. I know, you know, we're going to, coming up here, I think we're going to do some talking about being led by the Spirit. Maybe turn into a long series on a Sunday morning or something. But I'll tell you what, guys, if there's ever a day to know what it means to be led by the Spirit of God, it's today. It's a life saving message. How do we led by the Spirit of God? He knows where all the traps are. He knows where all the upcoming uh, plans of the enemy are. And oh, to know on the inside whether you should go to work today or not. Oh, to know, right? Uh, we need to go from here to here. I don't know why, but I just have a perception that we need, oh, the life-saving things that have happened and the hedges that weren't broke. Because people learned how to be led by the Spirit of God. I mean, we had a crazy guy in the yard one day. Um, Carla didn't know it. She's just out there. It's, the kids are having a blast in the front yard. And Carla just has an inward intuition. Kids, why don't you go play in the backyard? This, I don't know, I just have something in me. Just go play in the backyard. And so she, they all go back in the house. Right after that, a guy comes out with a gun, starts shooting all over the neighborhood, and then shot himself. Right, right, right across the street. Kids are all playing out there in the street, in the yard. In the yard. I mean, that's... How did she know that? 
she, she read Brother Hagin's book, How to Be Led by the Spirit of God. We've had teaching after teaching, How to Be Led by the Spirit of God, discerning and following the leadings. We've heard testimonies of people who had head-on head -on collisions in intersections, and later they, they, they tell, you know, I had a premonition to slow down at that green light, and I didn't. I didn't know what to do. I wasn't taught. One family was at a restaurant eating their food. Actually, they had just ordered. The kids' food came, and the dad said, we got to go home right now. But the food just got here. The kids, we got to go home right now. They went home, and a fire had started in their house. If they had gotten there, it would have torn, wasted their whole living. They got it put out. How did he know? He's in a restaurant getting ready to eat food. He'd been taught how to be led by the Spirit of God. It's a life-saving message. Yeah. Absolutely life-saving. There was a lot of people, and we found out later through testimonies, that did not, for some strange, invisible reason, did not go to work on 9-11 in the World Trade Center. Why didn't they go? Something inside said, go in late. Don't go today. It, there were so few people there that day. More than normal. I mean, there was like thousands less. Do you know as many people live in Grand Junction worked in the World Trade Center? Right. 50,000, 40,000 some people. Something like that. Many of them, for some reason, and many of them were believers who knew about the inward witness. That's when we prayed over our kids on Wednesday. Oh my goodness, we prayed that they're led by the Spirit. They're sensitive to God. And if the Spirit of God, and the parents, we prayed for the parents too, because the parents sometimes need to say, Honey, I don't know why, but I'm not, you don't need to go to school today. Right. I know mean, that would be a good idea yeah. if a school shooting happened that day. See, we should be able to steer clear of these things because we got the greater one in us leading us and guiding us. But people are all out here in this mental realm, in this physical realm, and the things of God are so distant to them. It needs to be the opposite. Yes. Things of God need to be very aware. We need to be very aware of the things of God and all this other stuff just needs to be like, yeah, okay, we'll check it out, but this is the most important. So, anyway. Now, According to this scripture in 1 Corinthians, okay, I'm going to say a couple things about complaining, and we want to make sure we have the attitude of faith, which is zero complaining. Right? Norval Hayes said, I don't have any more sad days. That was a choice. Right. I'm sure he was severely tempted and has been since then to have sad days, but you don't have to accept them. Just because everything's going on wrong around you doesn't mean it all has to go in you, wrong in you. Peace has more to do about what's going on inside of you than what's going on around you. So, complaining about the problem. Now here's where we're going to get. You ready? We're going to end with this. Complaining about the problem is how you accept the problem. I know you may think you have it, when you felt it. I know you may think you have it when it came against you, but you don't have it until you start complaining about it. It's just presenting itself. You're feeling it. It's knocking. It's knocking on your door. It's knocking on your windows. Jesus said, take no thought saying, what am I going to eat? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Don't take it. It may be presented to you, but you don't have to take it. Did you know... <laughs> More people have died from fear of cancer 
than cancer itself? Oh, what am I going to do? Oh. Faith is so much stronger than cancer. So much stronger. We're not afraid of cancer in this church. We're not afraid to speak that name. We're not afraid of it. It's under our feet. And we're not believers in divine healing because we're afraid to die. We're going to heaven. It's far better. But we do want to stay on the earth long enough to get done what the Lord wants us to do. And we don't want some stupid sickness hindering us while we're doing God's will. Right? We treat cancer like sin. Not that people that have it have sinned. I'm just saying we treat it because it comes from the enemy. There was no cancer on the scene in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Right? And all the cancer that is here now is finally eliminated when the devil's eliminated from human contact. So it came in with the enemy and sin, it goes out with the enemy and sin, must be of the enemy and sin. And it doesn't mean you have to sin to experience some of these things. You just live in a fallen world and there's stuff out there going to try to attach itself to you. You've got to learn to rebuke some things in this life. Complaining about the problem that comes against you is how you accept it. So what happens if you find yourself complaining about something that you don't want? Well, what happens if you sleep with somebody you're not married to? <laughs> you stop, repent, plead the blood, and go on and believe God. Okay, so here it is. You ready? Is it the problem that defeats people? Or they're complaining about the problem that stops God from being able to fix it? Now, these are, I know some of these things sound technical, guys, but we've got scripture for them. There's spiritual laws involved here. We need to understand, we might need to make some attitude adjustments. Is it the problem that defeats people, or is it they're complaining about the problem that stops God from being able to fix it? Big, big word. I hope you got that. I'm going to say it again. Is it the visible problem that defeats people? You know what they're pointing at? Or is it they're complaining about the problem that stops God from being able to fix it in their lives? Potentially he can do anything, but he, there are, Psalm 78 says that the children of Israel limited the Holy One of Israel from doing what he wanted to do in their lives. God will not violate free will and he's not just barging in and doing things for people who are complaining and moaning and growing and acting like God's not real and He's not good and He's not a good Father. The Bible says in Jesus' hometown, He could there do no mighty work. He was not able to. They would not allow Him to. Potentially, He could do anything, but morally, He's not going to violate certain things like free will. Alright, so let me say this. Do people complain because they have problems? Or do they have problems because they complain? Now, now, hold on, hold on. I'm talking about have. Something may be presented to you. That doesn't mean you have it yet. And it doesn't mean you ever have to have it. You can resist it. Instead of going to people and saying, Oh, I got all these problems. How about say, Hey man, I'm resisting something. You want to resist with me? 
I resist this sickness. I resist this oppression. I resist this financial attack. I resist this. I resist it. I resist this demonic fear in Jesus' name. Instead of saying, I'm so afraid and I don't know why. What am I going to do? I'm so afraid. Can I cry on your shoulder? I'm so afraid. I'm so afraid. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what I'm going to do. What are you doing? You are now having something that was presented to you. Do people complain because they have problems? Or do they have problems because they're complaining? I had a problem before I ever complained. No, a problem was presented to you. You think you have it just because you felt it. No, the enemy's trying to get you to take it. Own it. I say resist that stuff. Stand against it. Don't say, I got this and I got that. Say, I resist this and I resist that. In Jesus' name, it's coming against me. I feel like I got it, but I don't got it until I say I got it. Get it? (laughs) Come on, listen to this. Listen closely. People that complain are always right about what's happening to them. But you don't want to be right about that. And people go, see, I told you all these problems were going to get worse. You sure did. Not realizing you're prophesying it, help make it worse. You're proclaiming it, help make it worse. To all the natural senses, you know, seeing, hearing, feeling, touching, tasting, to all the natural senses, it's the weather. That's the problem. No, it's the junk car they sold me. No, it's my unfair boss. No, it's my spouse. No, it's the other person. Newsflash. Your complaining is the big problem because it's not the spirit of faith. Come on, what equaled a miracle in Macedonia? What equaled a miracle in Paul's life? They took the challenge, added the spirit of faith to it, great rejoicing that God was going to work it out, everything going to be all right, equaled more grace, victory, right? Come on, what would have them not complaining brought to them? A lot quicker entrance into the promised land. Is this exciting too, church? To know that all you have to do is make a few attitude adjustments and you'll see a miracle. Paul did on the boat. He did another test and trials. The Macedonians saw a miracle, right? These guys didn't see a miracle. Oh, what if there's a connection between complaining or not complaining and seeing a miracle or not seeing a miracle? Big one. Big, big. You're going to have to get your attitude unhooked from your feelings, unhooked from your emotions, unhooked from circumstances, and hook your attitude up to what you believe. As long as what you're believing is the Word of God, you're going to make it. So in closing, it's not what's presented to you that can destroy you. It's what you believe and say about what's presented to you that can destroy you. One more scripture, Mark eleven twenty four. 24. Is that good, guys? It said, When Saul and the Israelites heard Goliath, they were terrified and deeply shaken. But when David heard Goliath, he had the spirit of faith. 
And he saw a miracle. Saul and the others, they weren't seeing no miracle. They heard Goliath and they were deeply shaken. David heard Goliath and said, Is he in a covenant with God? No, he's an uncircumcised Philistine. Then what in the world are you doing hiding out? I could run at him with a sling and a stone and win this battle because I'm in a covenant with God and the guy with the spears and 300 pounds heavier than I doesn't have a covenant with God. In other words, David was saying, God has to deliver me from this Philistine because I'm in a covenant with God. God's not going to cut a covenant and say, well, it might work, David. It has to work. And David knew it had to work. They understood covenant back in those days. You in a covenant with somebody? Things have to happen. Certain prayers have to be answered. Our God's unjust. And God wants us believing like that. So in Mark eleven twenty four, don't think you know it, let's read it. What Jesus, therefore, he said, I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, here's the spirit of faith, you ready? Believe that you receive them, those things you desired, when you pray, and you shall have them. So what's he saying here? He's saying when you're done praying, you need to have the attitude that you would have if what you prayed for already showed up. But you have to have that attitude before it shows up. In other words, Pray for what you know God wants you to have. Healing, deliverance, prosperity, peace of mind, victory, joy, strength, a a spouse, whatever you know you've got scripture for it. Thousands of promises. When you're done praying, just live like it's already yours. After prayer, not when it shows up. You don't need any faith to act like it when it shows up. You You need faith before it shows up. But you believe it's yours in the realm of the Spirit, and Jesus said you shall have it. So just be happy like you got it. Forgive like you got it. Hmm? Praise God like you got it. Talk like you got it. Shake hands like you got it. Dream like you got it. And don't think there's not forces that try to get you out of that realm. You have to do, you have to do some diligence to stay in the realm of, I believe I got it. It's a realm. I believe I got it. I believe I got it. Have the attitude that you'd have if it already showed up. You know all those people you're mad at that you just, I don't know if I want to forgive them. You'll have no problem forgiving them if you really believe you got the victory you just prayed for. Right? Right? Faith is believing you got it because the Lord said you got it. Be happy like you got it and you'll get it. (laughs) Be happy like you got it and you'll get it. After 30 years, I think we're finally starting to see some truths of faith. Be happy like you got it and you'll get it. Forgive others that hurt you like you got it and you'll get it. Talk like you got it and you'll get it. (laughs) Whistle like you got it and you'll get it. How would you whistle if you already had it? Probably with a little more spunk. Right? Sing like you got it and you'll get it. Sit there, listen to me like you got it and you'll get it. (laughs) Stand up.